even if you do use AI, if you use AI, that's your responsibility. It is not the AI's responsibility what it produced. Welcome to Construction Disrupted, the ultimate podcast for the construction industry, exploring the limitless possibilities at the dynamic intersection of construction and technology. Wow, that's a mouthful. Delve into the latest topics, news, events, expert insights, and marketing that are shaping the industry right now and in the future. We'll hopefully sprinkle a little bit of humor in there for you as well. I'm your guide, Peter Sumpton, and I run a construction technology marketing agency, Build Different. If you're ready to embrace disruption and unlock the potential of the construction industry, keep on listening and be part of the conversation that's reshaping the future of construction. If you're not, uh, I really wouldn't bother. It's, it's probably not going to be that interesting for you. Whether you're a construction technology professional or just part of the construction industry in general. This podcast is your go-to resource for staying informed, inspired, and of course, connected. Speaking of connected, the best way you can help to support this podcast is by sharing it far and wide and leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Right then, let's go and build different and get disruptive. Transverse. Diverse. Universe. Metaverse. Versatile. Odd way to start, I know. But for most, there doesn't seem to be a solidified answer to what the metaverse actually is. Ask most people, and they will say that the metaverse is a mere extension of what Facebook is developing. A misconception that it's Facebook on steroids. This could not be further from the truth. And in this episode, we'll uncover the true potential of the metaverse within the construction sector and how it holds the promise of reshaping the industry in profound and exciting ways. But before we do that, we need to take a step back and look at the broader picture here in terms of construction and digital transformation. Where do we start with this kind of change? A change that can present a plethora of opportunities for innovation, collaboration, and positive transformations within construction. I suppose we better start by meeting the chap that will help us through answering this question and more. Our guest today is Henry Fenby-Taylor, who founded his company, Athenophilia, the love of wisdom, in 2019 after a diverse professional career of 19 years writing books, delivering digital twins, information management, innovation, research, and providing science communication. As the former head of information management for the Centre of Digital Built Britain, he brings with him a breadth of experience from research to implementation that includes everything from getting his hands dirty on projects to leading programs of work for clients. Henry has also worked as a digital consultant working on diverse projects in sectors from nuclear to water. Henry is a firm believer in the power of entrepreneurialism in innovation to solve many of the problems facing the built environment today. Innovation that can help deliver greater sustainability 
and profit. Henry, welcome to the podcast. And is there anything that I've missed off that intro? Thank you, Peter. It's strange to be talked about at such a length um, it, in front of myself. So I, I think you've, I think you've covered everything that I, um, is my professional background. Um, so yeah, no, that's good. That'll do it. Well done. Okay. I, uh, Athena Philia, you nailed it. Yes. Fantastic. I didn't nail entrepreneurialism though. Uh, no. that's one thing I'll have to, oh, did all right. Okay. I'll, 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 I'll take that. I'll take that. And, and hopefully hold, holding a mirror up to your, your career, to yourself has put you in a really uncomfortable position and, and you feel very uncomfortable to carry on this conversation. Uh, Absolutely. that's what I try and do with all my guests, make them feel. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally wrong footed. Let's go. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Let's, let, let's do this. So according to Forbes, 70% of companies are developing transformational strategies but less than 7% have a successful implementation rate. That's unreal. Um, mm. Some of the more common challenges were seen to be unclear definition of what digital actually means, uh, an undefined view of what the transformation should accomplish, poor integration of digital tools with current business processes. And these are huge challenges. Without covering what can even go wrong in implementing and onboarding new technology. So let's start with if an organization is going to, let's call it, go for digital transformation or get it right, uh, where do they need to start? Well, they can start in two places, uh, really. Well, that's, that's where most organizations start. I'm not going to say where they should start without looking at the specific company in question because... Of course. You know, different, different approaches. Um, but I think they should probably start in both a top-down and a bottom-up approach. So for that, that means, for me, that means um, top-down means there is an empowered um, senior leadership board bought-in idea that is being, um, it's going to be funded, it's going to be resourced, it's going to be tested, monitored, and it's it's part of everybody's organizational responsibilities it's something that is is big to the company it's not palmed off on one individual this is about the organization as a whole right mm -hmm. we're going to change the organization okay and that needs to be led by the organization and its objectives so mm -hmm. what those things that the the board are trying to achieve are they trying to be more profitable are they trying to be more sustainable are they trying to be more accountable and transparent you know are they trying to um improve the relationships with their clients and their products and services you know whatever that is so there's that you know it needs a clear driver from the top and that's should be driven by those organizational objectives and then bottom up this is already happening in most large organizations anyway there are people out there trying new things, doing new things. Um, you know, they might be implementing a new, just something as simple as a new template that is saving people time. Or they might actually be doing something really innovative with, with AI. Um, and that can make middle management very uncomfortable because um, depending on that person's role, they might have a certain responsibility that requires them to spend 100% of their time doing X, Y, or Z. Um, but these things continue to happen. These things continue to bubble up. And the, the real benefits of transformation from digital is 
talking to those people who are at the bottom, and I, I mean at the bottom, as in those people doing the work, the people that are holding mm-hmm. the company on their shoulders, those people know what they need. Those people know what the job is with their current job. This is assuming that an organization is knows what it's about. It knows what it's delivering. It's not using digital transformation as, you know, we're going to move markets or we're going to, you know, develop cool new products and yeah. services. It's, we do this and we're going to go continue doing this. So that's it. It needs uh, some top-down empowerment and it needs bottom-up empowerment because those people know what they're doing and they know what the problems are and they are the ones that can go about making it happen very often. So um, if I was to give people one piece of advice, and probably almost certainly talking to people in senior leadership and middle management here, is um, the word digital can be a bit, uh, can lead people in a certain direction. Mm. What, what needs to change? Everybody knows that in an organization what what needs to change just the, as a great open-ended question for a, for a meeting um you can really read the temperature of an organization and its culture by asking that question um so that is where i would start but it, it begins with top-down empowerment and bottom-up enabling mm-hmm. yeah that, that, that's really cool and, and, and makes perfect sense do, do you do you find that if you're advising or, or, or talking or, or asking that that difficult question in terms of what needs to change that you have to use different different language depending on 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 whether you're looking at it top down or, or bottom up yeah absolutely i think yeah there is a uh a common issue that everybody's under slightly different incentives and they talk about the same thing differently so this could be mm. you know this is a matrix issue in the sense of you know from the board down across sector across the organization across department across project across client you can end up with all of these different words um so for me for that very reason clarity and simplicity is is number 1 but even when you're using simple words like digital, um, mm-hmm. that can sometimes be too simple. You know, too simple in the sense yeah. of we're going to do digital and everyone has an idea in their head what that means. But they're probably not the same, especially if you said that across the whole business. You sent out a big email going, we're all going to go digital. Uh, I think you would see some very different reactions from across uh, those things. So simple but specific so in terms of we are going to make making decisions easier we are going to make um our processes simpler and enable our teams we are going to monitor our carbon you know simple yes specific absolutely i think Mm. but that is is the way you have to communicate when you're at this level because you're talking to so many people um and I've got to be honest, the temptation from a lot of consultants seems to be to manage upwards. So they speak in the language of the board or their mm-hmm. projects only. And they get the work over the line and, you know, the PowerPoint looks good and all those sorts of things. But then it doesn't get adopted because nobody ever spoke to the people whose job it is. And that for me <laughs> is a, a crime, frankly. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh... 
it, 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 it's weird that that you, you you spoke about it in those two different uh, two different ways. I cannot remember. I wish I had it, but I didn't think we'd go down this route. But there was it was about six months ago, and and there was this AGM or meeting or whatever, and I think it was it was in the roofing industry. So it mm. it was you know small businesses, small roofing. Uh, contractors and small roofing businesses and they did a little survey at the, that event and and one of the questions was has digital transformation improved your business over the past 12 months and and the big headline was something along the lines of 80 percent um, of our members said that digital transformation has improved their, their business so i thought oh, this can't this can't be it there's like there's no way not not in that industry and that's not being flippant or disparaging it just you know these things take take time and and in that part of the construction industry you know I, I just don't think that they're there yet so I read into it and, and the thing that struck me is I think there was about 80 people went to this event and the survey consisted of about 12 people wow. <laughs> so it's like 80 percent of those 12 people and if you think about what you've asked them you know if I said to you in just in your social normal life there's there's is the digital technology that you use change your life? Well, the chances are you're probably going to say yeah, because that is yeah. so expansive and can mean so many different things. So I, I just, you know, on your point, you need to know and understand the people you're talking to and what those changes actually mean. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, maybe digital transformation has blown the roof off their industry, but... <laughs> Moving on. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, quickly. Let's let's move on. Um, so we we've we, we've just we've just had Christmas, um, and um, that will make sense in a minute because another McKinsey survey. Um, hang on, I might have got that wrong. Did I say no? I said four plus time. Okay, I'll start that again. So looking at something else, but this time from McKinsey. It said that just 16 respondents to a survey they did said their organization's digital transformation has delivered sustainable performance improvements. And if we think that very few organizations actually implement them successfully, then this doesn't really paint a pretty picture. Just doing a quick online search brings up list upon list upon list of the top X construction software and tools and you combine this with the fragmented nature of the construction industry um, and the fact that we can be kind of slow to uptake some of this technology. And that is quite expansive sensor scanners, cameras, phones, stable internet access on site, for example. How do we get our digital selection toolbox right? That's the link to Christmas for those that were listening about 15 minutes ago when I did start talking. Oh dear, I'm still with you. I'm with you all the way, Peter. Brilliant. We, we got this. Um, there is two major problems here. Um, okay. One is that organizations tend to be quite faddy in their digital choices. It's what's hot, it's what's cool, it's what people are talking about. And they end up focusing on we need x technology we need y everybody is doing z which is so you, you know on the on the surface that's good on the surface that mm. is good for 
a transformation consultant, a digital consultant for for the BIM team for all of these people. Um, but actually, it, it's extremely damaging because somebody will then fulfill that need. There is now a big cost that has been added. And it's at worst now an expensive office toy. We needed this mm -hmm. thing. Why did we need it? So that we could do why? Well, we don't have the data for that. Like if we want to do carbon calculations, getting an expensive carbon calculation tool is, is just has nothing to it. You know, that's like buying uh, Excel and going, why isn't it calculating all of my expenses and my forecast, et cetera, because you need to put that in. You know, if you if you don't put it in, if you don't do the work to make it happen, if you don't fill a need to mm -hmm. actually implement this solution X, Y, or Z, then you are just being faddy and you're part of the problem in the sense of somebody somewhere, and I've had this happen, uh, and I've been in many of these conversations, you end up at a very high level in the org organization, sometimes, you know, in front of the uh, C-suite, they're going, so... This stuff has just cost us money, and I'm not seeing our productivity improve, and it's not helping our bottom line. In fact, it's hurting our bottom line. So why should we do this? And people look around and go, but we did the thing. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you did it kind of, not really. It was good for a PowerPoint. It was good for an advert. It was good for winning a bid. It, or you did it for a client on one project, and then you dumped it. It's not, that's not change. That's not, uh, uh, that sort of very faddy behavior is a real, real issue. Which leads me on to my second issue. And I kind of hinted at this, which is mm. that I can describe it in two ways, but it's effectively the same problem. One is if you want to innovate, you need to find the project fees for that. If you, we will do whatever you want. We will, yeah, look, okay, we want to do a digital thing, we'll do a digital thing. But you need to find a project that is doing that, and then you can go and do it. That also manifests as an innovation, digital transformation professional inside an organization in construction says, uh, okay, I want to go and do a thing. What's our budget for this? You know, I'm pretty new. How does that, that go? And the polite version of this is our budget for innovation is your salary. So go out there, sell yourself, sell us. And if you win any work, you can go and do that thing. Which is wash, you know, whitewash, greenwash, tech wash, all of that thing. You could call it putting lipstick on a pig. Um, even if it does work, which it frequently doesn't because you end up hiring salespeople as innovators um, without the support that they need to do the thing, um, you end up, you finally win something, you know, you've done a great bid. You know, I, I've been in this position. I've been that person where they said, you know, our innovation budget is your salary and that's it. Um, so you get good at winning bids and you win some bids and then you have to go onto a project going, Hey guys, we're going to do this cool thing. And, this entire project team from your organization is like, who are you? I'm the innovation guy. I helped you win the bin. Like, yeah, that's yeah. Like, We're building a building. So um, this sounds, you know, we kind of know how that's done. I'm not sure we need you. So you end up with this sort of internal friction. And it's very good for me learning how, you know, 
that's where the real metrics management happens is when you turn up on a project and go, hi, guys, we're going to do some cool stuff. And they're like, oh, what? What's going on? <laughs> um, and then if that wasn't bad enough, you can make that work. It can happen. I, I You know, you can buy, get people's buy-in. You find out what they need, you know, from the project director, from the different disciplines all the way down, um, and the client team and the other supply chain. You know, there's a lot of legwork. Go find out what people want, people need, um, based on what you have promised um, in in the bid process. And then you do the thing. So I've done digital twins this way, done some amazing information management this way, um, done some rather cool kind of, uh, you know, uh, AI solutions this way. Um, but because of how this was funded internally, you now have to give all of that intellectual property to the client. And you leave and everybody leaves and the project is done and you did a great job and you might get some good uh, reporting out of it. You might get some good marketing materials out of it, but ultimately you've just handed that all over and you can't mm. do that again. You're going to do it again. You have to do it again from scratch, but there's no budget for that. So you, you have to go and win another project, but you will also very frequently, and this happens constantly across the UK government, across the world, private, uh, public clients, um, lots of client organizations end up holding these things that they have no idea what they do because they weren't involved in creating it. They just, oh, we have an AI thing. All right, okay, what does it, what does it do? I don't really know. I can't make it work anymore. I probably needs updating. All right, okay. Like like people who create apps, right? You know, you can do it once, and it will work for two weeks. But you can tell the people who know what's involved because they will be updating it monthly, weekly, etc. And you can tell the people who just thought it was a project because they have less than two star ratings because they thought they could just do it once. But that's not how this stuff works. You know, if you, this is a product. This is a service that you're trying to develop. You can't just do it once. It requires ongoing investment. So mm. those are the major things. I'm going to recap because I've had an enjoying... Enjoy, uh, I've enjoyed my... Uh, my ramble um, through my personal bugbears. Um, so effectively taking things as a, as a project, you know, you can do your innovation if you can find somebody else to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And that manifests as, you know, go out there and sell the business, win it on a project, go deliver that. Um, and it's ignoring the organization itself. That's fundamentally what this is about. What? is the organization trying to achieve. And it shouldn't be something as prosaic as win more work, deliver more work. It can be, but that's that's a given. What, what needs to change? Mm -hmm. What needs to change? Is this, are you working 60 hour weeks on projects? Loads of people in construction are doing that. They're working stupid hours. They're, mm. they're too busy to innovate and those are the sorts of things that need to change. Are, are you doing this for, um, you know, a 1%, a 4% margin? That's bonkers, right? Do you know? Maybe people don't know that working 60 hours a week for a 1% a, a profit margin is a bad idea, but it <laughs> is. And you can you could be working regular hours and doing more like 30 to 50% if you were taking a products and services mindset. And... Yeah, well, 
that's there you go that's what it's all about that's my view on it yeah cool so we've looked at what actual digital transformation might be and how we how we look to get get it right in the first instance or at least start somewhere but when, when you look at data workflows technology the tangible assets and us as humans when that all connects it can be hugely powerful for any organization case in point apple whether you love them or hate them their interconnectivity between devices is so seamless you barely notice it once you're in you're in and you can't leave but that's that's by beside the point um, but not all tech is that integrated and this can cause issues with organizations that must be in sync with with what they're doing and external organizations and and all that kind of stuff in between internal and external so if we're going to start to implement these types of things how do we make sure we implement technology innovation new things successfully well if you were buying an iPhone or any mobile phone using the construction industry's current methodology for innovating, um, you would pay a large consultancy, quarter of a million pounds, 100,000 pounds minimum, to tell you that you needed a phone. Um, and then you say, what phone? And they'd, and they'd put their hand out and be like, ooh, that sounds tricky. We'll have to go and look at that. Um, it is complex, but it's, it's... I believe that there are players in the, in the market who are making it more complex than it needs to be. It is ultimately about decisions. We're trying to create through what this is i mean this is the ultimate outcome of, of digital transformation is we are creating we are creating evidence-based decisions and you can do evidence-based decisions without computers you can absolutely do that mm -hmm. but do that systematically and to do that with the information that you need to make those decisions at your fingertips i mean it's probably better if you had a digital system to do that so I feel like there's there's this real um, disconnect, and this is a disconnect that is inherent in, of organisations. You know, you mm. create a hierarchy in your organisation because you know what you need to deliver. You know, if you're doing a startup, people will be doing loads of different jobs, and there'll be a bit more free flow, and everybody will know everybody else, and everybody pitches in. And large organizations with hierarchies can create this little, these little units that go off and do these things. Um, and, and that's great. But ultimately, when you know what you're doing, you have a hierarchy. And that is about reporting. And there is a disconnect in all sorts of mechanisms across this in terms of people's performance how they are performing as individuals all the way up. Everybody is invested in looking good upwards, right? I mean, that's only only human nature. You don't want to turn in to yeah. your, unless you're absolutely on the edge, you don't want to turn up to your appraisal uh, and, and just be like, I'm awful at this and this sucks and I hate it here. And, you know, I'm just, I just don't, I'm, nothing's going well. 
you know, most people who are doing all right, you know, emotionally um, and with their mental health and health, you know, all those other things will will want to put a good spin on things and be like, you know, mm. oh, face challenges, but we're learning, you know, and all those sorts of things. Uh, and ultimately, nobody really knows what's happening in these organizations. There was a, um, I remember um, some great advice I had from a, a um a senior business person who buys and sells organizations um go and speak to the person on the shop floor and it wasn't always shop floors you know he didn't buy just factories we bought all sorts of businesses go and speak to the people on the shop floor they know exactly mm. what's happening if you ask for an official report or you pay a consultant for a report you will not find the truth they won't ask those people they won't speak to them they will speak to the managers. They will speak to the people that are paying them. And those people that are paying them will speak to those people um, who they have a vested interest, for whatever reason, of looking good to. And I'm not um, I'm not decrying this uh, as, you know, some sort of horrendous conspiracy. It's just, what, what is the purpose of, of your transformation? Why are we changing? How are we going to change? What what is the purpose of that? Because the stated purpose, again, this is about that simple but clear communication. The stated purpose might be one thing, but you have to look at it from other people's perspectives. I've been there. If you're given you're given an exciting new project as you know an up and coming person inside that organisation, then your objective is going to make be make that thing look good. Show you show people in the organisation that you are good, show that you are good and that you know what you're doing. Um, whereas if you are somebody who is, um, say, on the shop floor, you might see that as um, an organization looking to get rid of you, to thin the workforce. You know, digital transformation has, mm. like a lot of transformation, has this specter of unemployment. And a lot of people don't really address that at all so you'll end up with this resistance from the ground um and then you know who's sponsoring this because their objective is to spend money wisely and to have good return on investment so um i think good digital transformation is about evidence-led decision making as i said before what is it that you are doing you know what needs to change is a great question. I love tossing that grenade into into meetings. Yeah. But what is the actual what what is the evidence that you need to do things? You know, um, factories are often manufacturing is often put forward as a great example of very rationalised decision making. You can see a factory line. You can see exactly when the, you know the materials come in. It, they're processed. They're placed, it's put on a line, they're put in a system, and then they are put together, and then the thing is ready at the end of the line. You can physically see all of that stuff. The, the kind of the evidence-led, you know, they can, they already have a strong basis. They can see that there's evidence, there's stuff being done. Whereas when we're talking about the construction industry, very often these things aren't visible. Even when they're on site, they're not visible. Or nobody actually knows when they're on site. There isn't this systematic approach um so to be able to even understand what your business is doing 
you you don't basically unless you're already managing with data and you understand exactly what's being produced by when was it over the deadline who did it go to was it shared in the right way you know unless you have some of these very very basic things that do require investment to get right you don't actually know what's going on inside your organization and i think that's a, probably a problem for you so the reaction from um a lot of people is to get a bit defensive or offensive mm. uh, in in meetings to you know to bluster to um to deflect to um pass the blame pass the buck which is one of the reasons that the construction industry has a very uh, negative reputation at, at senior levels as well is that uh, there's this kind of deflection from what's really happening we can get rid of all of that let's understand what's really happening and then let's make some evidence-led decisions based on what's really happening if we just did that as a sector if we just did that that would change everything yeah, that that reminds me. I, I use this example all the time, but it reminds me of the the aerospace in, industry, and and the fact that if if something happens, if there's a a fault on an aircraft, or you know, the, there's a un, unfortunate incident, plane crashes, or or whatever that might be, there's this openness and transparency for all the airlines to learn from that, understand what went wrong, so that it doesn't happen again. Um, and I always use that as an example because if you think about the competitive nature in that uh, in that industry, in that type of industry where you know you lose a slot at an airport and it can be you know it can be millions upon millions, um, to have that openness and transparency because it's the end user that they have in mind and they've got a duty of care for, uh, you know we can learn a lot from taking some of that and implementing it within construction. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think there's some really interesting parallels. Um, government are heavily involved in both. Governments, as in they are investors, they are regulators. Mm -hmm. They, you know, Boeing, Airbus in commercial airlines, you know, they are the two big players and they are both very interlinked with government. And so is construction. A lot of money mm -hmm. for construction comes from governments. And so you often find these organizations very linked in with government. So they are often leading the um, regulation, you know, but they are also at the front of it because when you have a client like governments, they are, they are expecting good things from you. So, yeah, I think it's a really good, I think it's a really good analogy. And I, I do feel like um, I really I was about to really strongly assert that Grenfell is and will be that change. Um, it can be and it could be. And there is all the makings of the Building Safety Act mm -hmm. effectively implementing this sort of black box approach to construction projects. Um, and that is a requirement. But requirements have been placed on the construction industry before and they haven't complied with them and mm -hmm. you know contracts and companies agree to deliver all sorts of things and then don't <laughs> and aren't held to account so um i do believe that there's property in the building safety act and there's a proper requirement and that mm. is going to 
you know create people often call it the golden thread um but it's data we need that data we need that accountability it's a black box ultimately what is yeah what, what, happened, what happened in this building when that building catches fire who's to who's to blame and 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 what can be learned from that um and it shouldn't take um was it 2000 is it uh was it five years over five years from incident to outcome that is something certainly you know there is a a an organization in aerospace international organization in aerospace dedicated to understanding what happens in uh in aerospace incidents um mm -hmm. and you know they are empowered and they understand uh themselves what is happening and you know they're very accountable themselves and they hold the industry to account so i'm really um hopeful that we will learn that lesson and we will become accountable uh, and safe industry for the long term yeah yeah i mean here, here you can't argue with with that can you i think i think technology goes a a long way in playing a, a huge part in in those things and embracing that tech is is massively important so what, what i want to do now is 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 kind of um un understand from your perspective uh, a couple of examples perhaps or, or or some things that that um sound interesting and have worked in the past but the one thing that that i know and i think people can relate to is that digital transformation can come in many forms from like the obvious that we've we've spoken about like ai and the sim not simplistic but software management that is more all encompassing mm. and there's there's opportunities to truly transform organizations if it's done in in the right way uh, more specific to construction industry you've got things like 3d printing uh, AR is more prevalent now, VR, digital twins, as, as we've spoken about. Um, and also this thing we call the metaverse. And in my intro, I, I kind of flippantly said that if, if and, and, and this happened to me actually at, at, at Build London uh, as a show of hands. And most people thought that the metaverse was Facebook on steroids, essentially, you know, and the change in name from, from, from Facebook being the holding company to meta doesn't help that in any way, shape or form. Um, but what I'd quite like to understand, because I think it'll give huge context for people listening, is can you share examples of, of digital transformation coming good? Um, and if so, um, let's let's expand on that and hopefully it includes the, the metaverse in, in some way, shape or form. Sure. Okay. Um, so the metaverse, let's start with the metaverse because it, it is a fun uh, subject. I... <laughs> um, been a science fiction nerd my whole life and i you know there's been the matrix was the term that um was used uh in neuromancer um for their virtual world and then it became the matrix in the film the matrix um and uh, metaverse was from neil stevenson's book snow crash which i read and um was intended to be a mechanism for a billionaire to um, extract intellectual property from the brains of its senior professionals. That was its intention. Okay. So it's a it's a it's a very curious choice of uh, of uh, of name of brand. Um, 
because this was about downloading brains, you know, there was, you know, there's a lot of commonality between the metaverse of Snow Crash and uh, the metaverse that, that will be coming forwards. Um, but, you know, we are talking about virtual worlds and there are already examples uh, where uh, I know that uh, Grant Associates have, you know, an architectural landscape urban design firm have won and delivered virtual architectural projects that has already happened years ago and this idea that the physical world and the virtual world can meet has already happened this is a generational issue i grew up a gamer so i was slightly ahead of the curve um Mm. in terms of experience but there are even more um people than ever ever before um entertaining themselves in virtual worlds with other people and sometimes those virtual worlds connect to the real world you know pokemon go um second life examples but so many games have a virtual online version and the gaming industry has led a lot in this area so we had 3d solutions before in the construction industry and they were okay but then the gaming industry went well actually you shouldn't render like that. You should render like this, and you shouldn't hold data like that. You should hold it like this. And we just here's a solution. Go use it. And suddenly, Unity and Unreal are everywhere on projects, and you're seeing full kind of sunlight examples, etc., that that are being com- completed just using something that somebody else had already done for you. You know, they built mm-hmm. that. They'd done the hard work. You just needed to to place these these pieces together to make it work. Now. Um, so yes, that's my view. My view on the metaverse is that you know that is something that will um, is already happening in a way, and this idea of virtual design and construction is a thing. Um, but it's often a question of terminology because you could call a virtual design coordination. And I've done this. Um, you get a three D model a shared 3D model that's brought together all of the consultants' work, and you bring in various client clients into that model with their own... It doesn't have to be virtual reality. They could be on their laptop, but it can be virtual reality. And they're controlling mm. their own avatar, and they're moving around inside that building. Um, you know, that's kind of metaverse, right? That, that kind of counts. It's a physical, virtual, it's bringing people together. Um, so th- in some ways, it's already here. It's just mm-hmm. not evenly distributed. Um, so there is definitely uh, those sorts of metaverse things happening. Um, some of the examples of digital transformation working, however, let's let's go on to, to that bit, um, mm-hmm. are very, it's very data-led and it's very job-led. So... Um, the water companies in the UK um, have always had a requirement to manage and monitor their sewage outflow. There's been um, big uh, uh, fallout, kickback problems, issues with sewage being spilled into uh, potable water areas. Um, but there are um, water companies like uh, Welsh Water, which is... Um, you know, a, effectively a non-profit organization um, where they just want to understand how their, their system works because they are um, dealing with hundreds and hundreds 
of assets, well, it's thousands of assets, but just for, say, wastewater treatment works, they did it quite differently to how things were done elsewhere. And there are loads of really old ones and they have to uh, work out how they connect and how they interact, etc. It's a complex system over space. So quite by, I was going to say by accident, it's not by accident at all, simply by trying to do their job, they did digital transformation because with partners like Arab in Wales, um, they wanted to understand their network. So the mapping was done and they were started to save the data and they started to centralize it. And then they could create a regional view of this, which some people would call a digital twin. Well, it is a digital twin, but it came from GIS, from geographic information systems, because they needed to know where the rain is going to fall how that's going to behave, where it's going to get picked up, where it's going to go. And it's it's very complex. We're talking about loads of pipes, sometimes pumping, sometimes there'll be, re, you know, local flooding, sometimes there'll be all this stuff happening, you know, this rain's here, but not there, it's dry there. What are the soil conditions? It's really complex. So they were digitally transformed simply by, we, by doing their job. They hmm. saw what needed to be done. They needed to manage water, runoff specifically better they needed to manage wastewater better so they just asked how do we do that what, what are we going to do and you know they asked the right people the right questions and, and these things happen so that can happen kind of um just merely as a matter of course which is is always wonderful to see um mm. now so that's a client organization right that's them digitally transforming themselves um i think in terms of consultants, contractors, etc., transforming themselves. Um, I'm often very skeptical because they're often very good at transforming other people and they can really help with that. But it comes back to that project issue of if you can find a project to fund it, then we'll do it. And if you want to change mm. us, internally, then that can be a challenge. So um, I do really approve of the way that Arup um, does fund innovation there is a small part this is innovation best practice this is if you read any papers on r d and innovation this has been well established 3m have been doing this since day one um you give people a small amount of money if they have a good idea just a little bit which often includes their time a bit of money and then you almost have no bar for that then you have a slightly higher bar for giving them some more money and if that oh, looks like it might be going somewhere and then if it really has legs it can get a lot of money and it can go do things and there are actually multiple software solutions that um arab have produced that have started their own business you know they've sold it on or they, it's gone its own way um That's cool you know so they arab do do it arab do do walk the walk and talk the talk uh, as an example of, of things that they've done, I'm just sitting here looking, uh, looking at some of those things. <laughs> so just like, well, okay. they did crowd simulation tools. Yes, the Oasis software website is uh, is where it's all at. And you know, I've got to give them credit for that. I've got to give them credit for that. They looked at the problem. They didn't look at how it looks. And how does this make okay. us look? How does this appear? You know, so yeah, I think they'd probably be my two big examples. Oh, and they have a new solution as well, a new and more <laughs> software on that website. So they're, you know, the, I, it, it's hard to to fault them, but um, even still, 
we have a lot to learn as an industry from companies that properly invest in R&D. There was a a paper released recently by the Construction Leadership Council um, that shows that there is a change in R&D investment in construction companies. Um, So uh, I have that uh, slide somewhere, Um, but effectively productivity is correlated to R&D. There is a correlation, I would say a causation, um, but maybe not for every business. I've not seen all of these bits of data, but that's what I get for being an evidence-led decision maker. Um, they are, um, but they they are showing that those people who are investing, who are making um, that ne- those taking those necessary steps are starting to reap the benefits but it can be very bitty it can be very bitty you know yeah. different one office a department you know so i've seen great work inside nearly every major construction company from uh, lang o'rourke uh, jacobs atkins mock um basically every single one i've worked with balfour bt etc you often find that there are these absolute pockets of excellence but I'm not sure it qualifies as digital transformation if it's not happened to the entire business. Um, sure. You're right. So that's that's the that's the issue uh, with that. Whereas, you know, if it's very clear what you're doing, if you're managing water, you can transform that because that's the whole business. Whereas a lot of these construction companies and consultant companies for construction are doing so many things that it doesn't make sense to make them all do it the same way because yeah they might be talking to uh the un about sustainable sustainable development goals so giving them a file format a naming convention that they have to comply with doesn't seem to make as much sense uh as somebody who is uh deep in the weeds on a construction project so i think it's all about keeping these things uh focused on on what they need to do and you know uh, my favorite one that I've had lots of personal experience of is the Arab journey because they have done it and the Welsh water one because they have done it. Um, so yeah, obviously center for digital built Britain did a lot of digital transformation work there. You know, the transforming construction challenge that was, um, looking at systemic change. So, um, the uh, LandSec, uh, land securities who, uh, were building a building in London, um, took on Bryden Wood um, and Cambridge, you know, I was working for, uh, took a large role in that. So that was, you know, it's quite a project-led example because they are trying out different things and they are experimenting with the model. But ultimately, the Centre for Digital Built Britain with Landsec, with Bryden Wood on the forge did show that there is a, a better way of just transforming the whole process because, it's about the project, right? Uh, a lot of construction sector is about doing a project, um, but you can change the way that you deliver those products. You can digitally transform that whole project if you bring the right people on board and if you take the right mindset and if you measure. So that, those are some good examples as well. I wanted to bring the, uh, the Bright and Wood, the yeah, Forge, yeah. you know, uh, uh, Lansac CDBB uh, one up because it's uh, it's a good example as well of sometimes you know these things are project led and it might not be the same on the next one but the evidence is there. 
thank thank you for that uh, like really really good examples from i i hadn't heard of before so it's all and it's always the same in construction you never heard of them until until you have and then they end up being everywhere you notice it uh, absolutely <laughs> everywhere uh, i'm not sure if we should end on on this particular topic but we're go we're going for it because it's, it's really interesting because it probably brings in a whole host of of different uh, considerations and it, it's never as simplistic as as you know black and white really but i think through our discussions we've realized or or, or you know listening to what you've been saying that digital transformation isn't just as simple as purchasing software and, and implementing it um there's many caveats to that uh, alongside this as many things in life it requires a set of guidelines and policies of procedures to, to be in place so the whole thing doesn't end up like twitter uh, i mean x i mean an implosion I, I, that will be both dangerous and costly for a company yes. um let's just go back to twitter being twitter uh, but Please. sometimes rules and regs <laughs> sometimes rules and regs can can they can just go too far and stifle in innovation and, and digital implementation so what are your thoughts here do we have enough rules and regs um uh, is there not enough as the horse already bolted especially with like the insurgence of of ai and and that's all i keep hearing is that we need more regulation on ai we need to we need to so what's your uh thoughts on on rules and regs and have we gone too far or not well good question Thank the you. uh <laughs> the answer to that is the right regulation can foster innovation um the roads are regulated in the UK and the way that they are used is regulated so that people aren't driving their cars on the pavement or the sidewalk and they aren't jumping red lights. And when you get in a car, the clutch, if you're driving um, a manual uh, stick shift, uh, if you're driving one of those, or but it, regardless, you know, the clutch is on the left and even, you know, for the automatics, the brake is on the left of that and then the accelerator is on the right. The indicator indicates, you know, there are standardized mm. things about how cars work that have been regulated, you know, seatbelts, et cetera. You know, so not every country does it, not every, uh, every area does it, but you can see by driving that even though these people might be upsetting you that things can occur in an orderly way which saves lives which makes it easier to get where you're going which makes it clear when you've broken the rules and it makes it clear when you're abiding by the rules it's not arbitrary um mm -hmm. it's a great example because you know, this question of AI regulation keeps coming up and uh, Europe uh, seems keen to legislate on this um, as they are effectively being arbiters in the way that they regulated Apple to ensure that they had USB-C connections on their phones, which I thought was a good idea myself. Um, doesn't always work out like that for Europe, though. Doesn't always mean that they actually can be the protector and they can help the consumer and help people, etc. The the thing with AI is it is a geopolitical issue in the sense that who is going to win which country is going to win who's going to make the most money who's going to get to decide 
that is a geopolitical issue. So that puts countries like the United States of America, China, the United Kingdom as well, in a position where you might say certain things if you're a politician in um, opposition about, oh, no, we must be, we must do this for the public good and we must do this for, you know, you can say all of these principled things. But then when you get into power and you can see that this is going to hurt our economy and this is an opportunity for our economy to win. But if we just try and legislate it away, somebody else will do it. China will do it. The US mm. will do it. And that is that is the issue. It's the same sort of issue that affects banking and international businesses. AI is international. People, countries are often very reluctant to increase the tax on these businesses because then they'll leave and they do leave. And so it is, in terms of who will regulate, I think that is an important question. Who will regulate? It is going to be between the big powers and those allied with them and the big multinationals who want to use it because they are the ones who can choose to pay tax in a certain country or not. And they can choose to employ certain people in a certain country or not. And that has a real... Um, impact on the bottom line of countries you know that will affect their actual ability to provide services to people so you might want to legislate ai but there is i think an acknowledgement that if you go too far too soon too hard um you will find yourself a loser in in that game now mm. So there's that. So there's that. I, th I think that's that's a, a a a real you know that's a real geopolitical issue. But um, it we could go too far, and we could we could go not far enough. Um, I don't want to see AI helping people kill people. Um, uh, you know, go on killing sprees. I'm going to go on a killing spree. Uh, AI large language model. How should I go about that? And then it be given. You know, it feed that person. Those, you know, like some actual tips, you know, or, you know, sexual um, uh, assault, sexual violence to towards towards women, towards children, towards men, towards, you know, uh, 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 transgender people towards, you know, there, there are people who will use AI for already illegal things and mm. already bad things. And safeguards should be put in place for those existing rules because you are empowering people with these tools to do things better than ever before so um i think the implementation of ai solutions so large language models is the big one right now it's come up because it feels like the cheering test of do you feel like you're speaking to a human being has been passed for a lot of people in Canny Valley, mm -hmm. you know, there's this kind of interface. Now you just talk to a thing and it tells you stuff and it seems to know what it's talking about. Um, but ultimately the, the thing that is going to exist that already exists, that is going to challenge people is for example, in the U S where some lawyers submitted, um, effectively they copy pasted. They asked chat GPT, you know, what should we say in this case? They copy-pasted that answer and submitted it. And they're going to be disbarred. Um, because ultimately, even if you do use AI, 
if you use AI, that's your responsibility. It is not the AI's responsibility what it produced. Um, you know, I think there's real issues around what is feeding your AI. You know, are you mm. using other people's intellectual property to feed that? Because that seems to be for large language models, for the AI art creators, they are averages. They're just better, faster averaging what has already been produced on the internet. Um, and that can be a real issue. And I love using AI art generators. I love using uh, ChatGPT. Um, but ultimately, if it is being, if it is utilizing as part of a product and and or a service, other people's intellectual property, that is illegal already. Um, but there is a real gray area because governments mm -hmm. need to upskill at checking this. I don't think the US or the UK government would even know where to start in terms of checking, you know, uh, solutions like Midjourney, which I personally use for AI art. What you know, what's your source material? Do you have the rights to every single one of those images that you've used? Chat GPT, do you have the the rights? Do you have the rights to that data? Because that's what it's about. It's about having access to that data. And I feel like those laws already exist for using other people's intellectual property, but it's mm -hmm. in this kind of shiny new Porsche package, so people don't really know what to do with it. But um, I feel like there's loads of legislation that exists. I think we, we probably will need some more. Um, but it can guide and support. It doesn't need to block and stop unless you're a really bad person, in which case it absolutely should. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a, a really good way to end it and, and a really good tip for life, basically. <laughs> um, you know, to, to, do, do, the, do the right thing. And to, to, to come back to, not reality, but to come back to something that previously happened, which was um, uh, GDPR in, in, in marketing mainly and mm -hmm. making sure that uh, people could could opt in or opt out of what you were sending them and it wasn't unsolicited and all that kind of stuff. And I think it was massively blown out of all proportion. Like you send someone an email you're, that you shouldn't do, you're going to die. And it was never it was, it was was never that. And there, there was loads of loopholes in it. And I think they, they have got tighter with it. But it, all of that law and legislation, it, it can, in, in one short, sharp sentence, it's just don't be a dickhead. It's, it's almost as simple as that. And if you have that rule, then it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's you know, and, and as, as stupid and as flippant as that sounds, it's like you give any scenario and it's like, is this person acting like a dickhead? Yes or no? And if it's yes, <laughs> yeah, they're probably done wrong. If it's yeah. no, they're probably all right in what they're doing. Fine. Leave them alone. Carry on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, 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 so I think I think in in next time you're, you're consulting with a, a, an organisation, I want you to carry on asking that awkward question of what's the point in this and what what's the issues we're trying to resolve, and also mm. are you being a dickhead doing this? I think okay. that will really, really, really heighten what you can offer organisations. I, I can just imagine I'm going to be like suited and booted. I'm in there, I'm in front of the C-suite, and I just use the clicker on the next slide and it just has you know black and white white on black background text are you being a dickhead 
<laughs> I'll deliver it really seriously. I'll do it for you, Peter. I'll do it for you. I'll try it. Thank you. I, I really appreciate. Uh, uh, yeah, you get really techy and digital, and and you know all these screen grabs and everything like that, and then just end with that. That would Lots be. Lots of flow diagrams. Yeah, yeah. Really technical. You know, technical stacks. Yeah. You know, system integration, system integration, and then it's just finish on that. Absolutely. Yeah. Advice. <laughs> that's my. That's my law of the world and that's my advice for for anyone um yeah, right, anyway let's finish it there i think uh, henry thank you so much for your time it's been an absolute pleasure uh talking to you today I, I really do appreciate it me too it's i've had a great time thanks so much for the chat here i've really enjoyed it you take care thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day and giving this a listen if you want to chat further about anything you've heard on today's episode have a topic or technology you'd like me to cover, or simply want to say, hiya, you'll find me on LinkedIn or through the emails, peter at builddifferent.marketing. Stay disruptive.